welcome to another fantastic episode of Adventures in DevOps. I'm Nell Shamrell-Harrington. I'm a principal engineer at Chef and one of your hosts. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Chuck. Hey, Chuck, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. A uh, little bit of an adventurous day. I've already recorded three podcasts today. Wow. So Yeah. Is your voice doing okay? Yep, I'm good. Awesome. And joining us all the way from Poland, we have our guest today, Mr. Adam Novak. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Hello. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Hello, everyone. Nice. Good to have you. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, So my name is Adam, and I work as a development process practice lead in in a company called NetGuru. Uh, I'm also helping the organization to transfer from DevOps team-based organization to more like a DevOps mindset like one. So yeah, that's probably the reason I am here. Uh, and I probably uh, share some tips with you along the way, how we've messed up a little bit our DevOps adventure. So yeah, I'm excited about that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, what's one of the things we have guests of our show do is uh, fill out a little, uh, episode idea guide beforehand and you put in a very intriguing title which is how we killed devops question mark uh tell us more a little bit about that and let's get started on the conversation oh that's 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 a long story with with that title but actually it's a it's a great one so long story short i didn't know what devops mean and I found in the internet, after a after few years of doing DevOps, I found out that uh, and we had this DevOps team in our company and we for, for a couple of years. Uh, and I found out uh, in, one artic- in one of the articles on, on Martin Fowler's page that actually having a DevOps, dedicated DevOps team is a first and the most common anti-pattern of DevOps. And... And I realized that we actually killed the true meaning of DevOps by creating a dedicated DevOps team. So yeah, that was like an enlightenment for me. And this is where it all started, basically. Right. And it's always an interesting question. You know, how do you define DevOps? I've said in in talks (laughs) and in this this show before that trying to define DevOps feels like trying to define love. Uh, There's no, it doesn't feel like there's a universal definition of it, but we we have an idea of what it is and what it's not. So tell us a little bit more about how you define DevOps. Um, I for a couple months, months, uh, I have uh, my own new favorite definition of DevOps. And basically, 
that DevOps is just empathy. That's it. That's plain and simple. And it's, it all comes to, to this empathy. If we all could have empathy to each other, mm-hmm. that would be, you know, that would, that would help a lot. Uh, so th- I will stick to that. I, I love it. I love this definition because, yeah, <laughs> if we have empathy, then we are ready for DevOps and all of the goodness it has. Right. It's so important to remember that so much of DevOps, you know, we get caught up in the technologies and that's easy to do and the technologies are fun, but yep. the real foundation of it feels like how we treat one another when we work together. Boy, that, that's, <laughs> that's right, like, true uh, about more than just DevOps. It's true. development. It's being a person. It's working in a company. I mean, holy cow. Uh-huh. Uh, I like to say that, you know, technology is easy. Mm-hmm. But try to say the same about people and dealing with uh, them. Like, <laughs> yeah. People are the hardest of all. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you you gave a talk and the talk was how we killed the DevOps, which seems a little bit more, I guess, provocative than uh, just uh, we messed it up along the way. Well, we basically killed it, killed it because uh, yeah, so, so let's start with the empathy. Um, Expanding the, the definition, I would say DevOps is a culture, right? Like I, I like to um, keep my last slide telling people about, hey, remember after this talk, DevOps is a culture. It's not working in a cloud, writing shell scripts on a server or anything like that. It's a culture, and this is something you have to figure out in your your team, your organization, uh, and that's the, that's the that's the essence of of DevOps. But yeah. Where were we with the question? Sorry, because, yeah, I guess I was right. a bit excited. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, as you can, uh, your experiences and how you came to this realization. Because I found it's one thing to tell someone this is what DevOps is about, but it seems like everyone has to have some sort of experience where, where they come to the realization themselves. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, so okay, I, I will tell you a, a short version of, of, of the story. So, um, back in the day, we were a small web dev agency, uh, our company, NetGuru. Uh, so we, we dealt with simple infrastructures, maybe startups. So, you know, server here, server there. And, and that was it. And we didn't have any dedicated ops role. We just had our developers and that, that was it. And we were good with that. Um, and things which helped us with that were that we were a small community, we had open meetings, we have common tools and, and best practices. And we believe that when we heard DevOps, uh, we understood it as mm, this is stuff which is done on the servers and basically it's, it's writing shell scripts and automation on the servers and that, this is DevOps, okay? so. Something like infrastructure as a service, we didn't know the, the, the terminology um, back then, but yeah, it's it's not like SSH to a server, it's like writing a script and this is DevOps. Uh, so you can it's okay. so you can work on uh, multiple servers at once. And yeah, with that definition, <laughs> we, we started our team. And you know, along the along the way, uh, we ran up uh, into multiple issues. And the main was that we created this huge bottleneck in our organization because our team members understood that if there is anything related to cloud servers or anything like that, 
they can just raise a ticket uh, in the DevOps team and they will be fine. They don't have, they don't have to deal with that. And it worked for some time. Uh, I mean, it was okay-ish. Uh, but then we grew exponentially. Like we, we hit this hyper growth thing. Uh, so we um, grow from 50 to 100, from 100 to 100 people. And we started multiple projects and we just had uh, a few people on the, on the DevOps team and it didn't scale uh, well, unfortunately, because we didn't invest any time in teaching people how to deal with the server stuff and, and this entire DevOps thing as we understood it. But we rather uh, just, you know, took on tasks and deal with the job, deal with the job. And at some point, we hit a critical point and we couldn't, well, our, our developer, developer teams, delivery teams weren't able to deliver anything because they had to wait multiple weeks for staging server, production server, some kind of automation, uh, this kind of things. This is sounding very familiar, my own experience. <laughs> I know, yeah, right? So... Yeah, I'm glad you're not the only ones. Uh, and we actually became like number one issue in the organization. Like every coffee, every meeting, you heard something about oh, this DevOps team. Uh, and and it, it was really painful. Like uh, I don't want to be in this place anymore. Uh, fortunately, we, we, uh, we, we were able to improve it along the way, but yeah, it was definitely hard. So, so we were the bottleneck in the organization just because we created this silo. Uh, yeah, and that's the sad part uh, of the story. And, and you it, can tell me your stories here. I would sure. be interested in that. It's a common one where you're trying to break down common. silos, but you end up creating another silo. Uh, mm -hmm. I've seen this happen in organizations I've worked at. I remember I came into a hosting company and... I came from a pure development background and I never managed my own servers before. And uh, we were responsible for our own infrastructure and I broke a ton of things. And we decided, okay, we need a separate team to automate our infrastructure, number one, and number two, to deal with all the environments that we need, need set up. So the problem was, as you said, uh, that team, you know, it works well at a certain scale. But it quickly becomes a bottleneck. When, when you said the word bottleneck, I was reminded of the, uh, the book, The Phoenix Project, where there's a guy named Brent, uh, who is the only one who knows the system. He has been allowed to build the system in a way that only he understands it. And he's the bottleneck because nothing can move forward without going through Brent. And I think it's very easy for DevOps teams to fall uh, into that role in their organizations. Yeah, even, even though, you know, DevOps teams are, are nice, nice people. Uh, like Brent was in the right. book, like mm -hmm. yeah, like like we had like wonderful people in our team. Like they were the best, worked <laughs> over time, uh, helped with each kind of thing. But it, it wasn't a good thing. So I uh, so I, I read the the Phoenix project as well, and then had the chance to implement uh, a couple of um, couple of procedures uh, to resolve the issue. Yeah. So when you when you realize, I always find people make a change when they're they're finally at a point where the pain is is just too much. 
So for you, was that when uh, you, know, you heard people grumbling every coffee, every meeting, you know, what is the DevOps team doing? Uh, why is it taking so long? Yeah, exactly. Like they, they knew that we do something, uh, but we do it. Uh, we do things like too slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they couldn't understand that. And so we usually dealt with normal things uh, during the day. And then we use the on-call time to fix some more critical issues at night. So it was a hectic time uh, in, in our case. It really was like, it was probably the, the most painful time uh, in my career. Um, but but yeah, it was for for other team and the coffee, the, the coffee and the, the the talks were one thing, but the amount of tickets piling up like mm-hmm. was huge, uh, and we we didn't have uh, a good way to to monitor this. We didn't know how much time does it take, uh, and so on. So we really had to change everything. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the second part of of the story. So how we ended up uh, killing this this DevOps thing, um, and this this is the exciting part, I would say. Yeah. Before um, you go into that, um, I worked at a company where, um, and I was on the development team, right? So I was one of I I, I want to paint myself as a little bit of a villain, but <laughs> <laughs> really wasn't the case. Um, but we 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 kind of terrorized the the poor DevOps or the ops team a little bit because we were constantly trying to push new stuff onto the servers. <laughs> and the the issue was is we were dealing with government data. Mm-hmm. And so the security on it was like insane. And so we would pull in a new library and they would have to go get the library. They'd have to like tear through it as much as they could. And then they would, after they had gone through it, then what they would do is they would package it up as an RPM so that they could push it up to the server and install it the proper way because that kind of internet access where you go out to the internet and get code and bring it back down was not okay. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, you know, when you're talking about why is this slow or what is going on here or, you know, why is it done this way or why is it so hard to get anything done over there? Sometimes it's out of necessity, right? I mean, it sounds like you found other ways around this and you probably weren't in that kind of a constrained environment. But sometimes you're doing DevOps in situations where it's tough to get it all right and to make sure that you're covering all of your bases. So I just wanted to add that in because, yeah, situations vary from place to place. Yeah, there are definitely different type of constraints all over the place, like regulatory ones, like people procedures, uh, all of that uh, could prevent you from doing the, the right way, basically. So yeah, so for, fortunately, we didn't have, we, we just have, uh, we just had our own problems. But still, that was quite a lot for us back in the day. I remember uh, another company I worked at, you know, people really hated the security team. And, Mm. you know, part of it was we had one application, it was an internal application where uh, the team had set it up so that there was two-factor auth, which is fine. Uh, Just about every place is two-factor auth and that's good. But it would also bind, the login would bind to one IP address for the rest of the day, which if you're changing locations, uh, makes it so you can no longer log into the application. 
And the thing I found was, because I remember I was so angry about this, you know, this doesn't make sense. Uh, this isn't in any of our security requirements. Why are we doing this? And what I had to realize, and I think this is part of the foundation of empathy, is everyone thinks they're the good guy. No one thinks they're the villain. We, they, they so were, the, the security people, I mean, they weren't, you know, madly cackling uh, as they, you know, denied us access to things. But they felt it was their, you know, almost sworn duty to protect us from any sort of attack that might happen. Now, mm -hmm. it did turn out that uh, strategy wasn't viable, but we wouldn't we couldn't convince them by trying to get people to make a power play or something because the re the response would always be well you don't care about security then which is not the appropriate mm -hmm. response but that was the honest one that we were receiving at that point what worked was uh, asking right what are we trying to accomplish here because we have the same we have the same job we're trying to enable the right. business to function safely what can we do to accomplish this goal and that led to some 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 reform, I would say, in the organization. Mm -hmm. So not not just the empathy is important, but also you know the the business probably the Absolutely. most important one. Yeah, yeah. A couple of years ago, I put out a survey asking people what topics they wanted us to cover on DevChat.tv, and I got two overwhelming responses. One was from the JavaScript community; they wanted a React show, and the other one was from the Ruby community, and they wanted an Elixir show. So we started both. The React show, though, is React Roundup. And every week, we bring in people from the React community and we have conversations with them about React, about the community, about open source, about what goes into React, how to build React apps, and what's going on and changing in the React community. So if you're looking to keep current on the current React ecosystem and what's going on in React, you definitely need to be checking out React Roundup. You can find it at reactroundup.com. Right. So tell us now, Adam, a little bit about the second part of the story. Uh, when you came to this realization um, that things were not working the way they were, yes. So, so, so first of all, uh, I started looking for some answers in, in the internet, asking uh, people from this kind of space, what's wrong? How can we resolve that? Uh, and I've stumbled upon many uh, wonderful people who told me uh, that yeah, this is this is a common pitfall. Uh, actually, um, and we are not the only ones who are in that situation. Um, but the most important thing was to make work visible. Yeah, there's even a book called like that, make work visible. And that's... It's Dominique. That's the, uh, I'm trying to remember her the, last name. The Grandis? Or, yeah. 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 So, yeah, we exactly had to do that because as, as you've mentioned, like people started to wonder what these guys are doing, right? Uh, what's wrong? So we started to, to make work visible. We uh, streamlined our com communication because as you can imagine, I don't know, probably you also use Slack, are you, aren't you? Uh, very much. And just a brief uh, correction, I just realized, it's uh, Making Work Visible is by Domin Dominica de Grandis. Hmm. Yep. Uh, but yes, use Slack extensively. Yeah, so I I don't know about you, but I have this love-hate relationship with Slack. I love it, but we probably eliminated email out, out of our communication uh, cha channel. So um, that's, that's very tough because you have this stream of communication all of the time. And the same situation was, was with our team. It was not only the 
dedicated channel. There were like thousands of them, like personal channels, secret channels, whatever, all types of channels. They, they were used to that, even to solve like project managers were discussing with given DevOps number they should business guys were discussing with. Uh, there was one person who were a developer, they discussed that. So the, there was one issue uh, discussed in like five channels uh, and it was hard to, to follow the conversation. It was almost impossible to get something out of it. And it took us, you know, hours to, to, to get some, get some answers against some decisions. So we do stuff. So, so the first thing we did, we, we streamlined the communication. We only for, for a brief period of time, we, we only allowed one, uh, point of communication where we uh, gathered like most important people, I would say, like uh, service delivery managers, um, engineering managers. So everyone knew what what's going on. And if you wanted to 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 have something, you had to go through this channel. Uh, this way, everyone knew what was in the queue, uh, and based on that, they knew that we do the right job. It's not that we are just like refactoring something. We just do the, the right stuff. So, so that that was it. Uh, fortunately, the higher management uh, helped us. Uh, they acknowledged our actions. They cheered us up uh, publicly. That, that was very very nice. Even though you know they just write, wrote this, a few things um, mentioning that. We 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 are here to help you and so on. Um, it sounds like a little thing, but the, it actually meant a, meant a lot and it, and it helped us. And I found out later that you know uh, any transformation in a in a bigger organization isn't possible without uh, top management uh, approval and support. Right. Very much. Yeah. So so that was yeah. <laughs> I also think it's critical um, that you, you know, you clarified the communication channels and gave everybody a means of seeing what was going on. And that, yes. that makes it really, really easy for people to go, oh, wait, that's wrong. Or, oh, wait, this is more important. Or, you know, whatever. Exactly. Definitely. Definitely. That, that was the case. And yeah. uh, I would say, like, we had this chaos, uh, like, on the wars or something. You have this chaos and communication, you need to streamline. It has to be direct strict without any um, blah, blah, blah. It has to be um, as concrete as possible. So yeah, we, we, we try to do establish just that. And then I, I've mentioned that we haven't produced any documentation, like everything was in the DevOps team heads, like this is very often the case. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, we've changed that. So we started publishing like internal documentation. We also invited other teams for collaboration, like asking this, hey, uh, so we have this process. You've managed to, to, to solve this. Can you describe it if, if, with your own words? Have, how did you uh, approach this? Uh, and so on. And it helped us to create documentation from devs to devs without yeah. DevOps. Uh, and it was a great success because it was... It wasn't all about ports, uh, TCP IP stuff and, and all of that. It was like plain English, uh, what has to be done from a newbie perspective, basically. And yeah, it, 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 it helped us uh, a lot. 
Something I've had people do sometimes is when I'm on a team and there's only one person who knows how to do something and they're doing it all the time, chances are they really don't have time to document it or to teach someone else uh, how to do it. So what I have them do is uh, just, you know, if they have a Mac, just set up QuickTime, just record your screen. All I want to do is see the commands that you're running, the flags you're passing, what order you're running in them. Just record it, uh, send it to me or send it to someone else in the team. We'll extract it and put some documentation together and then have you read it and tell us what's right and what's not. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's so critical to get that knowledge out of just people's heads. Uh, I do not use the hit by a bus uh, uh, phrase anymore because I worked at an office where no one from our company, but two people in the streets surrounding us were actually hit by buses in downtown. Oh my. But I mean, it's just, it's, and you know, someone could get another job. Someone could win the lottery and decide they don't want to work anymore. It, it's your business value is not as much in the technology you're using, but the context uh, in which you're using that technology in. Hmm. That, that That's true. And, yeah, I actually, you, you mentioned brand case uh, yeah. from the Phoenix project. And we actually had uh, this brand guy uh, on our team as well. Awesome guy, but yeah, he had to do everything on, on his own because well, developers, they can't do that. Like I will do that. It will be faster. But at some point, like after this realization of, of ours, uh, I decided, hey, hey, yeah, just don't pick up any new task. Like you can shadow uh, other other team members. You can run webinars. You can write documentation, but you are not allowed to take like tickets from the queue because uh, it won't help us. And it, it was hard to understand that from from his perspective, but with time it helped us tremendously. Uh, so yeah, um, <laughs> definitely. So maybe you don't want to deal with bus factors. I, I don't want to deal with bottlenecks. Yeah. Um, yeah. All the bees, yeah. Um, and well, another so I, I mentioned streamlining um, communication, but also our focus focus was everywhere, like refactoring, like legacy, new projects, new business, new assignments, and we we had about I don't know uh, from eight to ten quarterly goals every quarter, but we never completed even half of them mm-hmm. each each quarter because there was always something more important like the um the current queue was too important to to do the refactoring and it's it's always the case not only for for devops teams but for regular um, development teams delivery teams it's, it's always the case but um i mean it shouldn't be the case but the reality shows that uh, it often is that we don't have the time for improvement, uh, but yeah, focus. So, so, so yeah, we we knew that we need to um, set our goals very um, very narrow goals. So we just ended up with having like, let's get uh, down the amount, let's get down the the time, the ticket. Um, spends in, in the queue, like from two weeks to two days, let's improve um, our net promoter score and PS. Uh, so this is this is the metric we, we used to, it's often used in, in sales. So the question is, how would you recommend giving services to your friend or colleague? And we ask the same 
question uh, to all the people who use DevOps services. And yeah, and we, we set the goals, uh, set the goal based on that. And yeah, basically that was it. We, we know the, the quality has to be good. So that's why we had NPS and the time has to be, well, basically we, we need to solve uh, our tickets as, as fast as, as possible. So yeah, so we didn't have any other goals and it, it helped us uh, as well. Um, yeah, and then, you know, with, with time, we made our, our work visible. People mm-hmm. actually, hmm, okay, so so this team actually does something useful. They they then don't do silly stuff. They actually try to help uh, the rest and it helped to, um, because actually we had some actual fights, not, not like a physical fight, but mm-hmm. uh, people were arguing very, very loudly, being impolite uh impolite to each other so so yeah definitely the 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 pressure was there uh and it wasn't a cooperation it's like you know throwing work from silos to silos and they didn't want to talk to each other just okay ticket done don't talk to me until it's ready so that that was definitely bad (laughs) but but with time so we we heard some words of appreciation and uh People started to notice that, yeah, we, we started doing something differently. And yeah, it was Thank a you. massive thing for us to have this positive feedback from, from the team. Yeah. yeah, You're really highlighting, I think, one of the best parts of making work more visible is that, you know, I think every single person has worked in an organization where there's at least someone or multiple people who say about some team was, I don't even know what they do, which with the, what they say that what they really mean is they don't do anything, do they? It's 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 extremely rude. But one of the ways to counter that is making the work that you're not just making the work your team is doing visible, but making the trade-offs visible. Like why didn't my pet feature get added? Oh, because these three high priority customers came or high priority requests came from a customer who's paying us $10 million a year. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's so critical for an organization to see that. Mm -hmm. And probably, you you know, that there are like, dozens of ways how people can can do that like mm-hmm. creating tickets uh creating documentation uh actually bragging a little bit about hey we, we've done this and that uh, i i found that you know people in in our area in the the more technical area aren't so good at <laughs> this bragging thing about saying good things because well that was just a factor well we we scaled the servers uh, everything is faster like 10 times uh, yeah, not a big thing. <laughs> so, yeah. but people are very humble. Well, well, this that's what I found. But it's 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 necessary. <laughs> so things are better now. Then, or are you still oh, dealing absolutely. with some some issues? No, absolutely, we are uh, in a much different place. But um, so so we we've done all of that uh, I mentioned, uh, and then uh, I had this real enlightenment. Uh, enlightenment phase uh, in, in my journey so my my friend uh, actually recommended me uh, two books one was the the goal uh, and the second one was the phoenix project so other than that previously like i've talked to people i've um i've you know looked through internet uh, and that was it but after going through through these books i i i i understood that 
we really messed it up like completely. And I got into this topic, okay, so what, what can we do actually? Uh, instead of, you know, just fixing things, we can make them better, like getting them from normal to, to even better. So we, we have the uh, potential for, for improvement. And there are quite a few books. Uh, uh, we can probably list them in the show notes, like Phoenix Project, The Gold DevOps Handbook, uh, Measure What Matters, The Accelerate Book uh, is a great one for, for metrics, for instance. Um, we had to transform the entire organization. So uh, the book called Switch, How to Change Things uh, When Change is Hard. Uh, I like this this one uh, very much. So it helped us with, with uh, organization uh, issues and it helps, helped us to, to smoothen up the process. Yeah, so so spending some time with with this book. So so this is this was dedicated time. It helped me to to get on board with what DevOps is. And as um, when I was converted, it was just a matter of of, of time to uh, get the word out in the streets, uh, being some kind of evangelist uh, and spreading the word uh, about that in the company. And you know, it took took us some time, definitely, but probably a year to 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 make things straight. But we are completely different uh, company right now. No one is talking about DevOps, fortunately, or not. They have uh, different topics to, to talk about right now. But what what else here? Um, yeah. It definitely That's sounds just, like things are much better. Mm-hmm. Do you think people are ever yeah. done? With their DevOps transformations, like is it something um, that's ever complete? Of, of course, yeah. <laughs> of, of, of course not. Like, <laughs> like, like, of, of course not. Like, it's it's never done. But fortunately, so we were. I would say we were at the negative side of things. We got things to normal, and we could stay there. But actually, DevOps helped us to get things to another level, which is a better level. So the I would say the most significant thing I observe is that we actually want to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Like for for instance, like we usually, uh, like when I mentioned goals, we had this um, department goals. That was okay. So I don't know project managers were responsible for creating this process. DevOps teams were responsible for some kind of servers. Developers were uh, responsible for creating some kind of best practices about development. But right now we are um, at this moment. Any um, any initiative we we start, we invite people from other or other departments to to this initiative. So, if, for instance, if we want to um, create an automation for creating this, I don't know, staging or production infrastructure, we invite developers, QAs, project managers, DevOps. Uh, to the party and it, it completely changes the game it's so much funnier now nice yeah and uh, we learn we've, we've learned that our perspective is not enough to to make uh, an impact for the entire organization uh it's very useful to have this cooperation and and, and conversation at first uh, because the the implementation the the introduction uh, Actually, uh, how do you call this implementation? Yeah, let's say implementation in the organization is, is much 
uh, smoother with all all of the diverse perspectives. Yeah, and yeah, I learned one more thing that mm-hmm. everything which is diverse is simply better. It's not just about the race or skin color mm-hmm. or, or gender. It's about different perspective perspective from project manager, from perspective from the client, from the developer, and things are simply better thanks to that. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Right. Some advice I've given people sometimes who have been told they over-explain things uh, is assume competence when you're talking to someone in your organization. And often when I say that, I get, well, no one's competent here. The thing is, if you approach someone like they're incompetent, they're, you're, they're immediately going to go on the defensive. And it's critical to start with, okay, there probably is a good reason that, or at least what they perceive as a good reason that they're doing this. Why don't I ask more than tell them that they're doing it wrong? Totally, totally. Um, so yeah, so so... Previously, there, there was a, a lot of blame gaming, like they can't do this, they can't do that. But uh, that, that was one other operation, I think, like I said that, hey, guys, this is this is not allowed. We, we can't blame. Let, let's just skip this part and let's think maybe that they have a problem, they have an issue. Maybe they have a different perspective. Let's ask them uh, exactly as you've uh, told us. Yeah. So, yeah, that's very useful. Boy, I wish more people would do that in more situations too. Not just in these situations, but just in life in general. You see something yeah. that you don't get, you don't understand, you don't agree with. Yeah, take a minute. Hey, what's going on? What do you think? How do you feel? Why are you doing it? Yeah, because there, there's at least two two points, uh, two parts of the story, right? Mm. Like, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've done uh, a lot of work in politics, and I'm not going to name what the campaigns mm-hmm. were or anything on the show. Uh, or, or it, it, well, it's irrelevant uh, because the way you reach a voter is a lot like the way you'd reach another employee in your organization. Which, when you're trying to change someone someone's mind on something, you first have to appeal to their heart. They have to, you know, viscerally feel, you know, empathize with someone or viscerally feel how something will make their life better. Or if they don't think it'll affect them, make the lives of someone that they care about better. That Mm -hmm. has to come first. Uh, Next Mm -hmm. is the brain, which then you bring in all the logical reasons like, all right, this is why we should do this. This is, you know, Accelerate says that businesses are 10 times faster when they do this. And then after that has to come a commitment to act. 
So in the case of a voter, it's turning in their ballots. It doesn't matter how convinced they are uh, if they don't turn that ballot in. And at the same time, it doesn't matter how much you convince someone that they need to change what they do uh, if they don't follow through and change it. So it's it's critical. I think what I'm getting to, and I'm doing a long-winded way around this, but what I've heard over and over again through this episode, it's critical to meet people where they are. And I think that's the foundation of empathy. And that's the foundation mm-hmm. of not just changing someone's mind, but changing your mind at the same time, becoming more informed. Exactly. So politics is probably a tough one because yeah. you, you can't change your Oh, like, it's so main. hard. <laughs> yeah. 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 And we, we, that, that would be an entire episode of its own. Um, <laughs> but, but it is possible. It's possible to do. You mm-hmm. won't do it for everyone, but if you can do it for enough people, uh, that's when societal change happens. Mm-hmm. So what would you say, Adam, to someone who's at an org and they're in a similar situation? I've been hearing this a lot at DevOps Days events and things to that effect where uh, they say, all right, we put it, we, we heard we need to do the DevOps. We put a DevOps team in place. It's not all rainbows and, and unikittens. Uh, how, mm-hmm. you know, why isn't this working? Uh, how do we do better? What, where would you tell them to start? Um, actually, you've mentioned one, one of the, super useful things which is which are devops days i mean mm-hmm. these yeah. are the best events uh, on earth like i've only attended two of them uh but w- when i see the community uh all of the people who are engaged uh who are discussing things like these are the, the best converse- conversation I, i've heard on, on, on conferences um and there are a lot of like-minded people people go there to actually listen how to transform how to deal with organization and i think there is no better way uh than just hearing from someone else talking to someone else who who went through a, a similar situation like the, the one of the reasons i i'm giving I, i'm giving this this i gave this talk and i'm talking about this uh is that I want to encourage people to to reach out to me um, and talk about it because I think you know bringing another fresh perspective to to, to their issues would be beneficial. And yeah, I've learned it was very hard for me. I would like other people to learn from from our mistakes uh, so they don't have to go through through this hectic process. And yeah, I so I personally I personally like. This job is job job is in IT is like the best job ever, mm-hmm. uh, and I owe a lot to to the community who helped me. You know, Charles podcast, pod, Charles podcasts, uh, Ruby Rogues. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad they helped. Like, yeah, they, they helped me definitely, and they helped you know a ton of of people. And credit I, I to our that, hosts though too. I mean, they I, we have great hosts. I just yeah. I just show up and kind of make sure they happen. Yeah, but but you know, establishing the framework and of course, you know, uh, gathering all of the people that, that that's that, that's crucial. So so uh, I'm very grateful for that, and I want to contribute back. And yes, yeah, so, so I would say that you know the best way to, to start is to 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 find someone like like this. There are tons of DevOps transformation like topics uh, mm-hmm. in the internet. Find find the speaker, uh, find the people behind behind the transformation. Most of the time, they're available for for a chat, and probably they went through some serious, you know what, and uh, they will they will like to to help you. Um, yeah, so that, that that would be my advice. Um, 
Yeah. There's a lot of great stories out there. There was a book uh, Nordstrom published. They they wrote part of it, at least. So I have to find out which one it was. But uh, so before their DevOps transformation, they had a major outage. I think it was during their semi-annual sale, which for them is bigger than Black Friday. That is when their website is getting the most traffic. That's when the most uh, you know point of, sale, point of sale things in stores are the most busy. And they had a pretty massive outage on it which resulted in a big loss of income. And they go through Mm. it, what they go through it and what they they don't as much emphasize what they did wrong, but it was, what do we need to do better? And how do we do that better? And, you know, it's, I've read, I've seen, I've talked to so many people at conferences, especially DevOps days. Those are honestly my favorite events, uh, besides maybe ChefConf uh, that I go to like every year. <laughs> and it's just, it's kind of like, you know, the hero's journey, the, the archetype of stories. There, there's, there's a distinct, you know, common journey every organization goes through. And the most crucial thing I think people realize is you are not alone in the, the pain that you're feeling. Uh, you are not alone in feeling that this is really hard. It is. <laughs> Nothing involving people is ever going to be easy, <laughs> but it is possible. And the only way we figure that out is through talking with each other and learning from each other's yep. experiences. Exactly. Like, yep. you know, uh, I, I like, so So a lot of people talk, tell their like success stories on the, on the conferences. They're cool. Uh, why not? But, I'm more interested in hearing, you know, success, uh, success, success stories, success, success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But I'm personally more interested in how people failed because failures are more interesting, right? (laughs) Right. Yep. And what did you do when it failed? And how did you build Uh, on it? Yep. Exactly. Uh, And it it builds this. Okay. So, so it it builds these communities because sometimes you no, know, there is a success someone else success and people don't feel good about you know other people's success uh so, so in some some cases but when they fail like okay we fail too we are people okay so we have a common ground and it's it's so so what i found out um after you know giving this talk is that a lot of people came to me saying that hey we 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 got a similar story and we we have a lot of common uh, things w- with your case, uh, and we, we talk about it, and, and it helped them to 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 start um, doing this transformation. And I never uh, asked for anything more than than that. Like mm-hmm. this is the the, the best uh, gift I can have uh, after after this this story came out publicly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Yeah, just just, uh, just just because you know from 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 few, few more takeaways from the journey were that yeah basically that we need to work together. That was num- number one. We we need to get rid of all of the the silos and we need to share our experiences and uh, see the different point of view of other people. Uh, that's that. <laughs> Once also when I was asked to to fix this. Probably the timeline was like, can you do that in a month? <laughs> and I was like, mm-hmm. why not? But yeah, like I mentioned, it took us um, much, much longer. So yeah, take your time. It, mm-hmm. You won't do that uh, overnight. Anything happened overnight. So 
uh, take your time. Uh, it, any good change requires some time. Okay, it, it that one as of, well, but yeah. It reminds <laughs> me of a line from one of my all-time favorite movies, which is Contact, which came out in 1997. Uh, small moves, Ellie. One. Small moves. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. This has been a fantastic episode. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on, Adam. No problem. Uh, It was a pleasure to, to be here with you. All right. Well, we are coming toward the end of the hour. And one thing we do at the end of each episode is we come up with some picks, uh, things technical or not technical that have been uh, useful to us in the past uh, week or so. Uh, Chuck, why don't we start with you today? All right. So um, I think I mentioned this last week, but I am picking Christmas movies on the podcasts. Uh, Last week, I picked two movies with the same actor in them. I'm doing the same today. The first movie I'm going to pick is the movie that originally had the song White Christmas in it. And I'm wondering if either of you actually know what that movie is. Bing Crosby is what comes to mind. Bing Crosby is in both movies. And there is a movie called White Christmas, but that's not the the movie it originally appeared in. It is in that movie. And Bing Crosby sings it in both. Um, It was originally in Holiday Inn. Oh, yeah, I've seen that musical. Yep. And uh, it it came out in 1942. Um, has Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire. Uh, so lots of singing and dancing. You, know, you kind of expect that. Uh, terrific movie. Uh, absolutely love it. It's one of the holiday classics that I have to watch. Um, and, and I love these old movies that just have the, you know, there's just some quality to them that I just, I don't know if we can capture these days. Um, the other one is White Christmas. Um, it also has Bing Crosby in it. And uh, that one's Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye in that one. And, uh, again, that, that movie is anything with Danny Kay in it. You can just plan on laughing through a lot of it. He is hilarious. And, uh, the movie is terrific. Uh, this one is much more Christmas centric, I guess, than holiday Inn. holiday Inn is, is, is a little bit different story, but yeah, uh, both of them are just musical dancing, great stuff. Um, I absolutely love those movies. And then my last pick is. Today, as we record this, um, we released the Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job by me. So um, if you want to get the book, it's $2.99 on Amazon right now. I think we're going to hold that price point for a little while. Um, It may go up. We'll see how it goes. But yeah, uh, definitely go pick it up on Amazon and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Awesome. Uh, I will go ahead and go next. I have two picks. Uh, the first is the series The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. Oh, that was good. Uh, Star Wars-focused Western reminds me a lot of Long Wolf and Cub. It's fantastic. Uh, great characters, great story. Any actor, you saw this with, uh, what's his name, in uh, V for Vendetta, but any actor who can have their face completely covered and still be emoting with their body language so that you understand everything that they're experiencing with is fantastic. Highly recommend it. For me, it was definitely worth the, uh, the price of Disney+. Plus. Uh, the second pick is the uh, core. It's a Manning course through Manning publications, uh, Rust in Motion by Carol Nichols and Jake Golding. 
Uh, Rust is one of my very favorite programming languages. I took a bit of a break from it when I needed to work on some stuff for work that's written in Ruby. So went back to my Ruby roots. Now I'm coming back to my Rust roots. And Rust is one of those languages where if you're not using it quite a bit, you can pick it back up, but there's key, you know, parts of the language that you need to re-familiarize yourself with. So the course is about four hours long. I'm going through it now. Very, very useful. Getting all the little rust uh, uh, code snippets back into uh, my muscle memory. So highly recommend it if you are picking up rust for the first time or if you are coming back to it after uh, a ways doing something else. Awesome. Uh, Adam, what about you? Um, I have two picks for you. One is the book called Why We Sleep. And it was a life-changing book for me. It <laughs> allowed me to sleep one hour uh, more than uh, in a previous year. So definitely a, a game-changing book. Uh, I feel better. I feel more energized. Uh, I have more time. So yeah, I definitely heard a, a lot of people in my uh, in my circle who, who read this book and they Definitely, like five out of five uh, gave five out of five rating for this. Uh, so yeah, I, I highly recommend that you will you will realize that sleep is very good for you. And the second pick I have is this: I recently bought a pair of noise canceling headphones, Jabra 85H, and another game changer for me. Uh, I had. Uh, two flights to US and, and from US to Europe. Uh, and they allowed me to actually spend a good time in my plane uh, in, and actually spend a good night in a hotel, which was very close to a very busy uh, busy street. So if you don't have one, actually it's one of the best uh, thing ever you, can, you could put on your head. So yeah, highly recommended both of the book and headphones. Yeah, the headphones are also great when your hotel room that you end up in is right next to the elevator and you're hearing ding, ding, ding oh, all night long. <laughs> that is the worst. Yeah. And it's it's especially hard for me, at least at night. You know, I don't have the headphones on. I've actually used a white noise app when I'm staying in hotels and I'm right next to the elevator because people come in at like 2 a.m. and they're talking real loud. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, thank you, uh, both of you, for joining me today. Listeners, uh, I got a lot out of this episode. I hope you get a lot out of the episode, too. And thank you so much for joining us. And we will talk to you next week. Take care, everyone, and happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, Max out, everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.